Welcome to Training Unleashed, the show that will help you design and deliver training that's off the chain and will make a difference. Now, here's your host, Evan Hackle. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another exciting edition of Training Unleashed. We're going to have a really interesting, interesting conversation today. Before I get started, I want to thank my sponsors, C-Suite TV and C-Suite Radio. Today, my guest is Vina Sterling, and she is with the Leadership Research Institute. And Vina, we're going to get right going. And I know one of the things you're an expert on is the future of learning. And I'm going to ask this question in two ways. What is today's future? Where are we today? Because everyone is right now thinking about, you know, it's hybrid hybrid working situations, you know, here to stay. Are they going to regress? Is it productive? But I also like to know, but we'll just separate like that, just give you the heads up. Love to talk about where it's going to be in five years. So where is where is the future of learning today? Mm, well, thank you so much for asking that question. Thank you for having me. Um, I would say today, in terms of the future of learning, the future of work, it really is about understanding that we're never going back to, to what it was before. And so uh, today, it looks like getting comfortable with uh, the uncertainty, getting comfortable with knowing that you have uh, different preferences. So we've got you know, the team virtual folks who really um, love being virtual, who um, never have to go back into an office another day in their lives. You know, I like to think of them as team yoga pants and slippers. <laughs> and then you have those people who are excited about getting back to the office, reconnecting with colleagues. And as leaders today, we need to understand how do we navigate that? Um, how do we as companies decide what's best for our people? I think um, at the end of the day for companies, it really is important now to pick a side, to just you know say, hey, we're all about virtual, we're virtual first. This is um, how we're going to do that. This is why we've made that decision, right? Everyone's not gonna agree, but it's about sharing your why inside of that. Or it's about, we're just going to be in person. We're going back to that. Um, we're excited about that. What does that offer? And then, of course, some are uh, selecting hybrid, which can be a little trickier. How do you make sure you're doing what works for the people who are virtual, um, as well as the people who are in person, and you don't create that disconnection and, and that really two teams in one. So. I don't know where it's going to be in five years, um, except maybe the same thing. It's just never going to be the same. So I think we get to take the best of what we've discovered in terms of virtual and the things we can do. And when we're together in person, doing the things that make sense to do in person um, so that we don't take that time for granted, right? We used to take that time yeah. for granted. How do we now make the most of when we are together? You know, it it's interesting because I, I heard you say something. I don't even know if you said it intentionally or not, but this is what I heard. Mm. Every company is going to take a stand, not necessarily the same stand. So that they're going to be some companies are going to say, you know what? We want people together. We like the collaboration. Uh, we like to be able to see people working. And then some people are going to say, you know what? We like to give our employees flexibility. 
uh, and more joy in their in their workday, more control in their workday. Uh, and we're going to take a stand and we're going to support people working from home. And then, of course, you're going to have some companies that are going to perhaps be mid ground that we want, you know, to have maybe the option for both or sometime together, sometime apart. And it's going to be maybe a cultural differentiator for companies. Mm. Is mm -hmm. that, did I misread you or is that sort of what you were saying? Well, I like what you added in there, which is like all companies must or should take a stand. I think unfortunately though, not all of them will. And that's where it gets murky. The ones who um, are inconsistent in the messaging, um, they're allowing that inequity. Some people are, you know, staying at home where others are coming in out of a feeling of obligation. Maybe they have different leaders who have a, a position. So it can be a big mess if companies don't take a stand. So I definitely think the ones that are thriving have taken a stand. They've gone all in. Of course, there are things to work out. Um, and important in that conversation is just knowing that whatever position you pick, you're going to have people that leave. Some, you know, want it all virtual and you might be doing hybrid or in person. Some of those are going to leave and vice versa, right? You could have the others who um, want just the don't other, like, yeah. exactly. So it's just knowing that you know, a big part of culture transformation is knowing that you will start attracting more of the right fit folks because you will be clear. They'll be onboarding and taking a role knowing what they're going to get. Um, and then you'll have others who um, end up leaving because where the culture is going, they don't uh, see themselves in that. And that's perfectly fine. So as long as you go and knowing whatever, whichever one you pick, you're going to lose people. I think though, for the ones who have decided to come in in person, you want to get away from the old school thinking. So I practiced law for 10 years and it was very much putting in the hours, being in the office. Some of the partners would make the rounds, you know, saying hello on a Friday at 6 p.m. Um, just to see who's there. We want to, that's something we want to let go of. We really want to stand in, okay, what's possible by being together and how can you know organizations make it fun i was working with someone who works for um, a cruise ship in the cruise industry cruise line and so it was like how can we make the people want to come in like what were we not doing before and so they started um, taking folks on tours of the cruise ships things like that they started when people are in the office giving them access to senior leaders that they may not have had access to in the past. So uh, no matter what you choose, we want to do it in that new way, in that futuristic way. And look at some of those things of the past. Um, unfortunately, they're still around, but you want to try to let go of those things. You know, it's interesting. It's a complete non sequitur, but uh, people in the cruise business work like four months on, four months off, but they literally work every day for four months mm -hmm. and i've always thought that'd be really cool because then i could like really take time and travel and do all kinds of interesting things you know you mentioned something subtly about being careful not to overwork i don't remember exactly what the word is and 
my experience, and you know, we talk a little bit about five years from now, is work and the integration of work into your life in every aspect is becoming more and more evasive. Now, I, I'm a lot older than you. And, you know, I grew up in a time when I'm literally, I grew up with, with dial phones. I mean, it's, like, man, it's a little, a little feel for, for my age, but, you know, and not dial phones, no, no recorders, no, you know, you know, when, when the, someone could leave a, a message at your home, that was a big, big, big change. Wow. And, and a long distance phone call in today's dollars was like, three or four dollars a minute I mean, it was, you, you only made a long I mean people would literally holler <laughs> you got a long distance phone call because because uh, it's so expensive to you know that you 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 really valued it and and when you weren't at work you weren't at work because it was it wasn't a question of yeah lazy it was a question of you couldn't because, you know, mm. you, you know, you, no, I guess some people had typewriters at home. I guess you could do some reading or something. It was really hard. Today, it becomes easier and easier and easier. And, you know, people are doing work sometimes just by, you know, spending time on social media because you're interacting with people at work. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's going to be tough. And I know one of the topics you talk about is burnout, well-being and burnout and stress. So what advice can you give to our listeners for themselves as work becomes more and more all-encompassing to avoid burnout and 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 stress and and being and working on well-being? Yeah, that's one of my favorite topics. Um, one thing I'll add in terms of the future work and the pandemic is that we saw that, you know, whether they were at home or in the office, people were working harder than ever before. Um, so that we have the data now to show that, you know, the idea of you only get done work done when you're in the office is just not accurate. In fact, people end up um, sometimes working more because, you know, as you pointed to, you, it's hard to turn it off, especially when you love what you do, whether you're an entrepreneur, you're in a corporate role, um, it can be hard. The key that I've discovered is boundaries. So um, one of the things you said was incorporating work into your life, which I think is really powerful. And in many um, instances, we've done it the opposite way and tried to, you know, incorporate our life into work. You know, we say, okay, here are the working hours and now let me fit my life in around that. But as more and more people are um, having that flexibility, whether they're at home or they're back in the office, companies see now that you've got to give people flexibility. If there's anything that the great resignation shows us is like people want flexibility. They want to be able to have a life. Um, and the importance of that, um, the key to that actually is boundaries. So um, it's especially when I think about, you know, I work a lot with entrepreneurs and in our consulting practice, of course, we um, represent uh, leaders and big corporations, but for whether it's entrepreneurs or leaders, um, for my entrepreneurs, many of them left corporate roles because they were seeking that freedom. And then when it was them in charge of their schedule, 
surprise, surprise, their life ended up looking exactly the same <laughs> without anyone telling them, you know, that they had to be somewhere a certain um, at a certain time. So many of us are really programmed to overwork, to put work first and try to fit our life in. So one of the things I like to do with clients is master your calendar, really sit down, put your whole life in your calendar and start with your life first. So whether it's that focus time in the morning, the working out, um, the, the preparing of the meals, um, I even discover for myself, you know, I'm a mom of twin boys. They just turned 12. For a long time, I didn't have time for being a mom in my calendar. And so when they would get home, I still felt that stress of like, okay, I got to wrap up work because I want to spend time with them. But, you know, I still had deadlines. So how do you put all of that in your calendar? One of the things I discovered once I did that was, okay, I only have about three to four hours of solid work in my day. So now what, right? So as an entrepreneur, of course, then I can start bringing in more team members. I can start uh, shifting the level of work that I'm doing so that I'm really working on the strategic aspects of the work and having a team of people. And if for those who are in the corporate realm, that leadership, it really is. How do you get the best from your team? How do you empower your team members to own the work that they're doing so you can take more and more off your plate and step into spending more time on the leadership, on coaching your teams? And when we remove the barriers to that true leadership, when we set boundaries um, and share the boundaries, it's really refreshing uh, when people can work for a leader who says like, no, I have a boundary or I have, you know, I have something, uh, I have another interest or something with family. And when we do that, we empower our team members to do the same. So we've, we've got some really weak boundaries, a lot of us. Um, so that's a place to start when you start looking at um, boundaries. One other thing I will add is a lot of us um, from the perspective of balance and avoiding burnout, it's like we focus a lot on how not to have the burnout. And really, I like to take people on a journey to experience what wellness feels like. A lot of us like there, you know, there there's numbers that show like anxiety has been up even, you know, not to be morbid, but suicide has gone up in this pandemic isolation. So how do we create experiences where we can tap in and um, get that feeling of wellness so that we can come back to that over and over again. Tortle Training's Learning Matter experts are passionate about designing effective solutions that move the needle. Whether your organization needs development of e-learning courses, instructor-led training, or assistance with creating optimized electronic versions of employee handbooks, our team can help. To learn more, visit tortle.com slash learning dash development. You know, it, it's when you talk, it's just interesting because a lot of thoughts come to my mind. And my father was a serious workaholic, a serious workaholic. And I've never worked as hard as my father. That's just a quick joke. When my father turned 72, he says, Evan, I'm going to work part time now. And I'm like, Dad, I can't. This, this is amazing. This is great. I said, 
just out of curiosity, what's part-time? He says, he says to me, no more than 12 hours in any single day. <laughs> yeah. That's part-time. That's a kind of, that's kind of, you know, kind of workaholic he was. And what I would say to my father was, you work longer than I do, but I am far more productive than you are. Because you equate hard work with length of time, and I equate hard work with effectiveness. And I put in practices and methodologies to be much more efficient with my time and much more effective. Th these are all things you were just talking about before, is you know, doing using your time, you know, effectively is really is really the key. Because it's not just, you know, you go back to the person just checking to see if you're working at six o'clock. You know, mm -hmm. it's it's not, you know, I guess law is different because you bill by the hour, which uh, which I think is a, a flaw in the legal work because one person's hour and another person's hour in terms of effectiveness are completely different. But, you know, in terms of real business, um, you can be immensely, you know, effective. And, you know, I also think in, th in this, this, I'd love your take on, because I think this is a, a little bit of a bold statement, is I think some people work because they don't have a social and personal life. They've given it up. And so now they need to entertain themselves. So I better check my email because they don't, you know, they, they don't have friends over for dinner or they're, they're, you know, they have nothing to do. And, you know, I, which... I, I'm not saying this is good. I'm just saying is I think it's somewhat somewhat a reality um, mm. that work is becomes a substitute for for living. Mm. What are your thoughts wow. on that? Yeah, I can definitely see that. Um, it comes up a lot when I talk about having it all, you know, especially for um, women, this can be a big one. Um, but it applies equally to men, especially for parents. Um, you know, we can get lost in the work and we can get resigned in many ways, right? So maybe you're of the belief that you can't have it all. So then that leads you to why even try, right? Like the work yeah. always presents itself as urgent because you have the time blocked off. You have people around who are either depending on you, expecting you to show up, et cetera. But then you have these important things that don't have the same urgency, right? They're not just always in your face, like the email from work or the colleague who's calling you or the team member who needs a question. Um, so I could see that. And also when we stand inside of, oh, we can't have it all, then like, it's not gonna have us look at like, like what would having it all look like? So I love that you said dinners with friends, um, you know, some of that self-care. I think when we come from the mindset of abundance, like, I don't know if we could have it all, but for me, at least personally, and with my clients, I refuse to believe that you can't because it stops me from asking, well, what if I could, what would it look like? What would I do? What would I fill my life in? Um, I'm a, I'm a big lover of, um, the show, the crown, yeah, me too. Um, yeah. Five. yeah, I know, season five. So I see so many leadership lessons in that. And there was a point where uh, Queen Elizabeth asked um, Philip, 
you know, like they were, I think on the Navy yacht, she's like, what's it going to take? Like, what is it going to take for you to be happy in this marriage and this relationship with my position as queen? And I just think that's a great question for all of us. And I asked myself that what's it going to take? Like, how many retreats do I want to lead a year? How many vacations? How many um, special moments with my kids? How many date nights, right? Like, what is it going to take? And a lot of times we don't ask ourselves the question and it's very easy to get caught up in work, to lose our power, to feel like we don't have a choice, to even forget that, especially if we're in a corporate role that we signed up for the role, we signed the paperwork, we onboarded, we chose to be there. And if that's not working, then what else will we choose next? So that's my take. Yeah. So I want to shift the conversation. This is a very interesting conversation. Um, you know, what the show's about training and somebody could listen to the show and say, what in the world does this have to do with training? And I would say it has to do the world with training because when you understand how people think, you create training for your company and how your company works in a way that matches how to create that environment and culture that is both productive and sustainable for em employees. Um, before the show, you and I were chatting a little bit about entrepreneurism, because one of the things you're an expert on is, you know, how to lead and how to be a successful entrepreneur. Um, and I argue that when you work for somebody else, you still work for yourself. And, you know, people like, you know, I don't like the risk of being an entrepreneur. And I like you work in a job, you have risk every day because you can be let go every day. And if mm -hmm. you want to succeed, you have to think about being an entrepreneur. And for those that listen to this show a lot, one of the most common themes that I make in the show is that training department needs to be entrepreneurial. They need not to just sit back and be waiting for to be told what to do or what to execute, but they need to be proactive. They need to be thinking in advance. They need to be leading the training effort in the organization um, as opposed to uh, just sitting back and, and, and taking orders. They need to think entrepreneurial. So what advice for literally anybody in corporate world from what you know about being successful entrepreneurs, would you give them for being an employee, but to thinking entrepreneurially and how that can help them? Yeah, great question. Um, I would say first, as you mentioned, everything we've been talking about relates to this question because you do need to understand people, right? So when people come together, whether um, I'm leading a group training, coaching program of any sort, we come together in our shared humanity. So um, in the corporate world, we like to think of titles and hierarchy and things like that. But just knowing, you know, I don't remember who said it, but it's like everyone puts on their pants or their skirt like the same way. So just knowing how do human beings work? How do we come together? Um, how do we remove those roles? Um, I'm a big um proponent of that, just getting rid of the roles and looking at, okay, we're all human beings, how do we work? So that's the first thing. And then when you look at um, 
being entrepreneurial, the role of an entrepreneur is to solve problems, right? So they see a problem in the marketplace and they take it on to um, to address that problem, to, to find solutions. So I would say a big part of it um, is looking out and seeing in the marketplace, what are some of the challenges? In today's world, we have no shortage of that. <laughs> So if you're in a training department or if you um, lead a line of business in your organization, it's taking that data that's out there, um, having what you do definitely be data-based. Um, and that's a big part of what we do in terms of assessments, getting leaders the data, and then looking at where are the gaps in our organization. So um, if there's something that you see, right, like whether it's people want flexibility, back to our future of work conversation. So it's looking at how do we stack up with that? Like how flexible are we? How clear are we in terms of our messaging? Um, if we're onboarding people who aren't coming to the office, how do we have them feel included, et cetera? So assessing really where you are in terms of um, the data and, and what's needed out there. And then the ownership, like that ownership of saying, okay, here's, uh, uh, here's where things are going, here's a gap, here's how me or my team can contribute to this, here's the piece we'd like to be accountable for, right? Like a lot of times the good thing about being entrepreneurial in an organization is that, you can pave your own way. Like when I was, um, you know, whether I was working in law firms, I did a lot of cultural transformation work inside of HR and organizations. There were many times that I led efforts because I saw there was a need, right? I worked in a, a law school and I saw that people were leaving and we weren't getting key data from them. So we started an externship program. That was something that gave us a lot of data when they were leaving out the door. Um, so it's setting your own metrics, setting your accountability. And, um, and then I would say I'm big on inclusive leadership. So how do you make sure that you're hearing everyone's voice? people um, with human beings, right? You have some extroverts, we know like, and I'm one of those, the person that's like talking a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have your introverts, the ones who are quiet. So how do you create that psychological safety where people feel that they can be authentic? Um, one of the ways that's really actionable um, that I got from you know practicing law is the concept of the devil's advocate. So I like to have my leaders bring that into their conversations, right? It's easy to say, uh, to hear from everyone on your team, yes, 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 yes. But how do you, you know, how do you get the, the folks who have objections or who have concerns? And one of the easy ways to do that is to put those structures and practices like the devil's advocate and say, okay, let's play devil's advocate, right? I know everyone is saying yes and nodding their head about this. But let's play devil's advocate to, to look at it from another perspective, right? Like what could someone else say about this that doesn't work? Um, and then with the psychological safety, making sure that people feel safe to make mistakes, right? When you are entrepreneurial, you create a big goal. Sometimes it's something you've never done before. So making it safe for people to feel, letting them know that um, they'll be given the benefit of the doubt. If something goes wrong, it's uh, a learning opportunity. 
And then also as the leader of that initiative, a part of psychological safety is showing your fallibility as a leader. So, you know, not only just being able to relax a little bit and have fun, but um, laughing at yourself, telling one on yourself, you know, just about the challenges that you're having as a leader. So that makes it so safe for others to do that. Well, you're bringing up, I think, an excellent point, which is leaders need to give permission for others to be entrepreneurial. Because if you're in an, if you're in a job where leaders are authoritarian, I'm trying to use the right term, mm -hmm. probably not the best place to be entrepreneurial. But when leaders give you permission to think, ask for your opinion. Uh, I just was listening to a great book and I don't remember the name or I'd plug it, but the the leader was saying, the, the, the CEO of the company was saying he went home and he shared some jokes that he had shared at work and his family didn't laugh. And he said, but I shared these at work and everyone was laughing and everyone else thought they were funny. And, he, and his son said to him, but dad, you're not paying us. <laughs> That's it. Exactly. <laughs> you know, exactly. And, and uh, you know, when you're when you're in charge, everyone likes you. Everyone thinks you're funny. Um, and you know, you have a responsibility to create a culture of psychological safety. I love that word. I think you used it really well. Uh, mm -hmm. Vina. We have had a great conversation, and I am sure people want to know more about you. Uh, I know this company that you're with now is new, uh, not the company's new, but you're new with the company. You know, tell us more about yourself. Tell us more about this new company, who your ideal clients are, and who, who are the people that should reach out to you. Yeah, well, thank you so much. I've um, been, I joined this year, and my my relationship with them goes back because I was actually a client uh, before joining the firm. And so um, the firm has been around for over 40 years. Um, we work with large clients like Capital One, Adobe, some of the large law firms. And um, we specialize in a variety of things, a lot of leadership. Um, my focus primarily is with women, women leaders. Just women before you go too far, what is the name of your, okay, it's the Leadership Research Institute. Yeah. Because like, I don't think necessarily our listeners remember from my very brief introduction at the beginning. So Yes, so, yeah, so thank you for asking. The uh, consulting firm is called Leadership Research Institute. We go by LRI. Um, and we are a team of entrepreneurial consultants um, with a variety of different focus areas, um, but steeped in research. Um, we've been around for 40 years, over 40 years now, and we have large um, clients, corporate clients such as Capital One, Adobe, some of the larger law firms. Um, my practice, for the most part, does focus on women entrepreneurs. I also work with women leaders. My ideal client is someone who um, has an established business, so already has a team. So this you know, woman can benefit from getting the data from the team about how she's doing in terms of her leadership. And then we can take a data-based approach in terms of where to go as far as leadership, as far as self-care. We do an assessment called Restore. 
um, that really looks at how big is your battery, how charged up is your battery. So ideal client is someone for me, someone with a team um, who's you know, generating either six or multiple six figures and is really looking to break into the seven or eight figures with the help of a team. And also someone who um, isn't a stranger or isn't afraid of doing that deep transformational work. I believe the biggest part of transforming our teams um, is doing some of that self-transformation. So I love doing retreats, uh, whether it's with a team or with a, a group of leaders. We have um, a group of women entrepreneurs, and it really is powerful to work with your peers um, to to so, to so what, work with each other. Yeah. Let me interrupt just to get clarity here. If I'm running a training department, it's a business within a business. Yes. And that's kind of customer that you work with. And then you also do some, some individual like coaching and tell me if I'm wrong. And then you also sometimes do retreats with groups of people that maybe are outside of your bubble, which I think is great too. Is that correct? Yes. Well, the retreats are typically with um, leaders and their team. So they like to, oh, so to they have bring their, their own retreats. They bring their yes, own Yes, yeah. yes. Also our groups of women entrepreneurs. So you get to be with other women entrepreneurs sharing some of those common challenges. And then just a couple of weeks ago, we worked with um, a law firm's training department. And so it's it's a training that we've done to train their associates in the law firm. It's been going on for 10 years now. We work with what are the training objectives, um, implement those, and then we do follow-up, et cetera. So a variety Excellent. of different types of clients. Excellent. Very interesting company. And I know you have an offer for everyone. So would you uh, share your offer? Sure. Well, I have, um, if you go to www.transformyourteams with an S.com, transform your teams. There's a giveaway there, which are some of my best tools and tricks that you can start implementing with your team right away to, um, like you said, have that entrepreneurial impact within your organization, whether you're an entrepreneur or you're leading a team within an organization. So, so www.transformyourteams.com. Yes, www.transformyourteams.com. You can also reach, find me at www.lri.com. So that stands for Leadership Research Institute. L-R-I, um, that's a cool, you're lucky to have a three, three letter. I know, uh, right? That's really cool. <laughs> yep, easy so, to find. So we're running a little long, so I'm going to get right to it. What is uh, one tip? If you had one tip to share with the audience, what would that one tip be? Um, I love what we talked about in terms of, you know, that person saying, well, you know, the family member saying, well, you're not paying us, right? So it's just understanding that as a leader, um, you do want to get every voice in the room and people aren't going to necessarily tell you the truth. So how do you create those opportunities for um, anonymous feedback, right? To have people creating that feedback culture so that you get the honest truth and then you can take that and move forward. So 
Um, yeah, you can't rely that people are going to tell you the truth or that your jokes are funny just because they laughed. A lot of times they, you know, they're committed to their paycheck <laughs> and to, to being there for their family. So I love that you said that. How do you get that honest feedback, honest data? And that's a big part of what we do and where we come in. Well, Vina, it's been great to have you as a guest. I want to thank my listeners. Without you, I don't have a show. I really appreciate you listening to the show. I also appreciate those of you that write nice reviews. And also, I want to thank my sponsors, C-Suite TV and C-Suite Radio. Everyone have a great day. Thank you. Training Unleashed is brought to you by Tortal Training, specializing in e-learning and interactive online training solutions for corporate, government, nonprofit, and franchise organizations. Tortal makes effective training easier. Just go to tortal.net to gain access to real-world tools that can make a difference. That's tortal.net, T-O-R-T-A-L, tortal.net. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.